Hi listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. Carol Dodge was having a conversation with her daughter, Angie, and in that conversation, her daughter, Angie, would say to her, you know, mom, I've done something really stupid. Carol would not go on and ask her daughter what she was referring to. This is something that Carol would regret for the rest of her life, since that would be the last conversation she would have with Angie. This is the story of Angie Dodge. Angie Ray Dodge was born on December 21st, 1977 in Vancouver, Washington, to Jack and Carol Dodge. She was the youngest of four children and their only daughter. Angie was a gifted child with an amazing intelligence and a great enthusiasm for life. She began her preschool education in San Diego, California, and continued on with school in Idaho Falls. Throughout her high school years, she tutored many young children in math and English. She graduated from Idaho Falls High School in 1995 with honors and continued her education at Idaho State University for a short period of time. And on June 13, 1996, Angie was 18 years old. And Angie had been living in her apartment for a month. And on the night she was killed, two of her friends had been with her at her apartment. And they were the last ones to see her alive. The following day, Two of Angie's co-workers became concerned after Angie didn't show up for work and she failed to even say that she wasn't going to be able to make it to work. And it was very unlike Angie to do. Concerned about their friend and co-worker, they go over to her apartment to check on Angie. When the two friends show up at the apartment, they find that the front door is open. That's not good. No. They walk into the house and they go into Angie's bedroom. And that's where they find Angie laying in in the floor in a pool of her own blood. The two friends freak out and they run out of the house. And immediately they call police. When detectives show up at Angie's apartment, they discover a gruesome scene. A scene that showed that the crime was definitely a crime of passion. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts! We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com, forward slash support the show and click on the wine of the club month link and sign up we will earn a commission you can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code holiday 15 to get 15 dollars off any four month club or you can use promo code holiday 20 for 20 dollars off any six months club 
which sounds like a win-win to me. You get to stay home during this COVID-19 pandemic, quarantine by yourself, and your wines. And they ship free. What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. They find everything you usually buy. You can get smart suggestions for new items. They even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too. We are a proud affiliate of Instacart. So head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click their link. So Angie had been raped and brutally murdered. Her body had been left displayed on the bedroom floor. The stab wounds had been over her clothes, but before the attacker or attackers left, they made sure to pull her shirt up and pull her pants down, leaving her fully exposed. God, why? Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, they're, they're trying to humiliate her. Yeah. The murder weapon was not discovered at the crime scene, but the one big piece of evidence that detectives did have was that there was semen that was left on Angie's body. Hmm. So detectives took DNA samples in hopes that they would be able to get a match to the DNA. Detectives right away are able to rule out Angie's family and her boyfriend as possible suspects. Then the Idaho Falls police detectives start to look into the two friends that had stopped by Angie's apartment on the night of her murder. But the DNA didn't match any of them. Leaving the detectives with no leads, Carol decides to take matters into her own hands to find who murdered her daughter, Angie. And there was a really good documentary that I saw named Who Killed Angie Donch? Mm -hmm. Keith Morrison Investigates. And in that documentary, Carol tells Keith that anger just filled her body over her daughter's murder. And that's when she started her doing her own investigation. And she goes on to say how she put over 60,000 miles in her truck looking for answers. Like she's just driving around trying to figure out what happened to my daughter. Yeah, I bet. I mean, you can't imagine. Yeah. So several months went by without any arrest. Then police learned that a friend of Angie's had been arrested in Nevada on charges of raping a woman at knife point. Really? Yeah. So detectives start to look at Ben Hobbs as a suspect in Angie's murder. And while Ben was still in custody, Idaho Falls police begin trying to connect him to the Dodge's murder. Mm-hmm. Well, they start interviewing Ben's friends, including a 20-year-old Idaho Falls High School dropout, Christopher Tapp. Now, Chris Tab went to the police station voluntarily to be interviewed by detectives in the murder of Angie. So Chris denied having anything to do with the murders or knowing about the murder. But three days later, Chris went back to the Idaho Falls police station and told detectives that Ben Hobbs had told him that he had killed Angie. And Chris thought that he was just joking and that's why he hadn't said anything before. So he goes in voluntarily talks to police, claims, oh, I don't know anything about the murder. I didn't even know there was a murder. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. And then later comes back and says, you know what? My friend, Ben Hobbs, 
actually had confessed to me about this murder. Now, Ben Hobbs and Chris and Angie, they all kind of run in the same circle of friends. Mm -hmm. And in this documentary, they actually explain how Chris Tab was kind of like a troubled child. Like, he had been caught up in drinking and drugs, and their circle of friends had kind of taken him in to keep him clean. Okay. So they were trying to keep him sober. Yeah. When detectives start to interview Ben, Ben said that it wasn't true. Ben said that he didn't have anything to do with the murder of Angie. He even asked detectives if Angie had been raped. And detectives were like, I don't know, you tell you tell us. Why would and he ask that? Well, he asked because he said, if she's been raped, the DNA would clear me. Right, that's true. And he's like, to prove, the DNA would prove that I was not there that night and I didn't kill her. So Ben told them that he would never kill a friend and he agreed to give his DNA. So he's like, listen, I didn't rape her. If she got raped, you know, you can have my DNA sample. You'll see, you know, this will clear me. He's like, I would never do this to a friend. Yeah, I'll do it to somebody else, but not a friend. Yeah, clearly. (laughs) This guy sounds pretty adamant that he's not if he's willing to get up his DNA for it, you know? Right. So detectives do test Ben's DNA to that of the semen that was found on Angie's body. Right. And the DNA is not a match. So even though Ben's DNA didn't match, detectives were convinced that Ben was involved in Angie's murder. But why? Because they're thinking, okay, so we have this guy, Chris Tabs, that's telling us Ben Hobbs confessed to it. Ben is already arrested. Remember, he got arrested in Nevada for something similar, for raping a girl at knife point. So Mm -hmm. at this point, they're like, he probably has something to do with it. The DNA doesn't match, but maybe Chris and him are involved. Yeah. Okay. 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 So because, you know, they think that Ben and Chris were in on it Mm -hmm. and they tested Ben's DNA... Now they request a sample from Chris. But Chris was also not a match. Really? Yeah. Man, I thought so, that, that's exactly where this is going to lead to. <laughs> no. So detectives continued to question Chris. And Chris didn't have an alibi for the day of Angie's murder. And he had already provided details on her murder when he told detectives that Ben had murdered Angie. So Chris was questioned by detectives nine different days for more than 40 hours hours and chris was also given six different polygraph tests so not once not tw- it's six Are you okay kidding 40 hours of interrogation obviously split up months nine days and six, six different polygraph right. tests yeah so Why? at this point so at this point chris's family hires an attorney for him but here's the thing throughout all these questionings and all these hours and the polygraph tests yeah. The attorney wasn't present for all of this. Really? So what? he was present for some, but not others. Why? I don't know. Okay. But then Chris ends up telling detectives that he was there the night of the murder and that he helped hold Angie's arms down while she was being raped. So Chris even said that he had even cut Angie once across the chest. Okay. So since Ben's DNA... And Chris's DNA didn't match the semen left on Angie's body. Detectives start to come up with the theory that there must be a third person involved. So on February 3rd, 1987, police arrest Chris Tam for rape and first degree murder with a deadly weapon based on his confession. 
And on May 8th, 1998, a jury finds Chris Tab guilty of rape and murder with a deadly weapon. The Dodge family requested for Chris to get the death penalty at the sentencing. So the Dodge family, clearly they wanted the death penalty because they wanted Chris to suffer to have the same sentence that their daughter had, which was death. Right. During the sentencing, Chris was able to give a statement. And when he did, he said, I'm sorry for the loss and suffering of Mrs. Dodge. But putting me to death will not bring your daughter back, and I am not the monster that everyone thinks I am. The judge didn't end up giving Chris the death penalty, but instead he did sentence Chris to life in prison, and Chris wouldn't be eligible for parole until 30 years. So, there is no DNA evidence that links back to him? No, this is, again, this is based on his confession he gave police officers. And he's getting accused of rape, even though he technically he didn't because confess to that. Though I mean, he yes, he he, he's, to he didn't her confess down, to right? rape. He confessed to holding her down while she was being raped. And there's still no mystery third guy or third. Well, no, they person. still think there's a third person, but they don't know who that third person is. It seems like there's so many holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the arrest of Chris Tab, Carol believes that Chris murdered her daughter. That is, until she starts to learn more and more about Chris's arrest. What you got there, Jose? I just opened an ice-cold beer from Beer the Month Club. Treat yourself or someone special to great beers month after month by joining the Craft Beer of the Month Club. Each monthly shipment contains a 12-pack with four different types of rare craft beer, hand-selected from small American craft breweries. We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show, click on the Craft Beer of the Month Club link and sign up, we will earn commission. Stay home and keep cool with an ice cold beer. Cheers, Jose. Just a little side note. This case, I found it interesting because it reminded me so much of the Anon case. Mm. You'll see what I'm you'll see what I mean, but it just it reminded me a lot of that case. So Carol starts to question the Idaho Falls police theory that there was a third man involved in the killing of her daughter. And the more that she looks into the police reports and Angie's case files, the more that it's not making sense to her. So Carol decides to contact the International known DNA expert with the Idaho Innocence Project, Dr. Greg Hambikian, in hopes that he can explain the DNA evidence. Because remember, they have this DNA, but it's not matching to anybody, okay? Right. But unfortunately, Dr. Greg Hambikian told Carol that he was already working on Chris's case, meaning he was trying to get Chris exonerated. Really? So, yeah, he was already working with the Innocence Project to try and get Chris out. So they already knew with that there Chris's was holes family. There. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so when he tells Carol that, Carol tells him, I don't care. I just want to know what happened to my daughter. Right. So Carol had read in the report that there had also been pubic hairs along with the semen. The report stated that the pubic hair was similar to the victims. So it's not saying it's the victims, it's saying it's similar. And she's like, it either, it's either her 
pubic hair or it's not. Like, which yeah, one what is it? What does that even mean? Right. So, Carol wanted Dr. Greg Hambikian to test the pubic hair for DNA. And when he does, he discovers that the DNA in the pubic hair was not a match for either Chris or Ben. Okay. So well, doc- neither was a semen, so... <laughs> right. So Dr. Greg Hambigian looked at the evidence that was collected in Angie's case, and he said that, based on the evidence, he didn't find anything that indicated that there had been multiple people that had done this. His theory was that there was one person that raped and killed Angie, and that Chris and Ben Hobbs were not at the crime scene. There really? was no evidence linking them to the crime scene. Right. Given that new evidence, Carol starts to believe that Chris is innocent. And she requests copies of the interrogations and the polygraph test. Carol comes to the conclusion that Chris' confession was coerced. Well, what made her think that, though? I mean, obviously, it seems... Why would he say that? Why would he confess to being there if he wasn't there? Well, so... She started to notice that the detective started asking him, hypothetical, how do you think that the murder happened? Okay. And she knew that the, that the detective that was questioning Chris was someone that Chris trusted. Because I guess that detective was a police officer at Chris's middle school, which is when Chris, remember how I told you he was a troubled teen, like... He had gotten involved in drugs and alcohol at a young age. Yeah, so we kind of so knew his he had already too. gotten in trouble, yeah. and that police officer was kind of there to kind of guide him. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this is why Chris trusted him. And if you look at these questioning videos, you see Chris because like the detective puts his hand on his shoulder, and he's like, "Come on, like, how do you think that the murder would have happened? How do you think it went down?" He's like, you You just need to tell me the truth. And he even says in one of the videos, you hear him say, oh, I trust you. I know you like kind of like saying, I know you wouldn't like point me in the wrong direction right. or anything. So and he was pointing him right into a potential false confession. Huh? Right. So Carol also noticed that detectives also started to feed Chris information that only the killer would know. About the crime scene. That's got to be just wrong. Yeah, so Carol even watched detectives correct Chris on where Angie lived. So they asked him, where does Angie live? Couldn't tell them where. And they even corrected him on the layout of Angie's apartment. So now Carol's like, if he was there, if he murdered my daughter, how would he not know? And even like later on, it's like, oh, she was found. Yeah, we, we stabbed her and raped her in... The living room. They're mm-hmm. like, no, Chris, you mean her bedroom. He's like, oh, That's I remember. Different. Yeah, he like you see in the video, he's like, I rem- no, as I recall it, I remember the living room. They're like, no, it was the bedroom. So they're even telling him. This is crazy. But, right. I mean, is there something maybe like mentally wrong with the guy? That he no. would kind of lead into this fantasy? Of, not fantasy, but... Well, no, it's, it's called fear. It's called fear. Because they're pretty much saying, if you tell us what we want to hear, we'll go ahead, like, kind of, we can cut you a deal. Just so tell us what we want to... he's lost hope that he's right. going to get out of this. He's oh, yeah, so just, he's just okay. trying, again, at none. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's your opinion. I don't know what you think. 
So now convinced that Chris was innocent, Carol called for the release of Chris Tapp. And with the improvement of DNA testing, they retested items of the crime scene that Chris had claimed he had come in contact with. Like there was a teddy bear in the bedroom that was found in the scene Mm -hmm. and other items. And when those items got tested for touch DNA, something that they didn't have back then, now they do. They all came back as not a match. Really? Yes. So all those items didn't match the unknown DNA on the semen and giving all the evidence along with other things proving that Chris did not kill Angie nor being there in her apartment. Because yeah, now it's, it's like there's touch DNA. They test it and he's nowhere in the apartment. They can't place him in the apartment. That's just crazy. So on July 17th, 2019, Chris Tab was exonerated. Oh, wow. That actually happened, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so nice because in the documentary, like I actually like I teared up because you see Chris Tab, you see his mom and you see Carol walking out of the courtroom and they're all holding hands. Chris is in the middle and Carol Dodge like holds up his hand like in victory. Like we did this. Like she stood by him the whole time. She was like, he didn't do it. She she was his voice. And like in that documentary, Chris Tab's mom was saying like all of that, his exoneration. And I'm not sure. I couldn't find anything on it. But it, she made it sound like maybe Carol was the one that helped them pay for, like, the appeals and his lawyers and all, to get him out of jail. It was just so nice to see. Because, you know, how many cases is there that we don't know about where it's like they, the family thinks, like, oh, this monster murdered my family member. They're now put away for life. And maybe they never really well, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying every case is like no, that, but not. you know, in this case, like, yeah, there was never any DNA. Now, remember, Chris also pointed the finger at Ben Hobbs, mm-hmm. which was his friend. And Ben eventually in that documentary, it said that he had to move away because of like the rumors of the town. And like yeah. he said, it ruined his life and he couldn't understand why Chris would point the finger at him. Or I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It was not Ben Hobbs. It was another friend. I can't remember his name, but he there. At the end, Chris was saying that's the third guy. So he's oh, like, so "Why?" He ended up yeah, he was like, guy. "Why is he pointing the finger at me? Why?" Yeah. And he had to move away, change his life. That's horrible. And when he got exonerated, he came back and he was at Chris's trial, and you just saw the two friends reunite after all these years, and they're just hugging. And Chris, you just hear Chris apologize to him say I'm sorry they put like he felt like he was cornered he felt like police just cornered him into saying something that wasn't the truth and he felt like there's no getting out of this I have to tell them something yeah that's that's just crazy yeah I mean what happens to the police that you know did this because that's that's not okay either you know what I mean like there's obviously things that they did that they shouldn't have feeding him information, pointing him in that direction. Which I get it. They're trying to solve well, the you case, need to watch, but still. No, you need to watch this documentary because they actually do cover that. And um, they ask, because now they're retired, and they go back and they ask him, but you see in the video, you're giving him information. They're like, no, we're not. Hmm. They deny it. They're, they say that they did everything by protocol. They didn't coerce the confession. None of that. Man, did he end up like suing? 
Yes. Yeah, he did. So, in May of 2019, Brian Lane Drips was arrested in the stabbing and death of Angie Donge. After a surge of GED Match, which is a service that compares autosomal DNA data files, identified the 53-year-old as a possible suspect. Interesting. So pol- yeah, so police were able to collect Drip's DNA from a discarded cigarette bud, which matched the sample found in Angie's home. After being taken to custody, Brian Drips confessed to the rape and murder. Brian was a acquaintance and Brian lived across the street from Angie. So they weren't friends. It's just one of like, oh, yeah, she lives across the street. He lives across the street type of thing. Okay. So Brian had been questioned by police officers that were canvassing Angie's neighborhood the day of the murder. But Brian had denied knowing anything about the crime, and he left town two weeks after. Mm, Weird. Yeah. So Brian Drips will stand trial on charges of first-degree murder and rape in June of 2021. Man. So see, again, our DNA and forensics has grown so much that there's no reason why there should be cold cases out there anymore. Give them to me. I'll solve them. Solve them all. I will solve them all. And just don't do any bad stuff like this, you know? You're going to get caught eventually. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if there isn't something now, there will be something later. I mean, that's oh, pretty yeah, clear. That's what, it's that's, crazy that how much it's... my mind. It's like, you know, you might think, like, oh, if I just do this, if I do that, like, they won't be able to find me. But it's like, you just wait. It might not be right away. It might be years later, but you'll get yeah. caught. Ancestry, all those things. You're not getting my saliva or blood. No, thank you. It's okay. I'll just get your ID. (laughs) You cannot find that. I don't even know where it's at. (laughs) If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcast. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.